Well, today we come to the end of this brief letter of Second Peter. We come to chapter 3, and these are the last recorded words we have from the Apostle Peter. In the previous chapter, we saw Peter strongly warning the believers against false teachers, as well as warning the false teachers about the judgment that they face. Some of that theme continues in this final chapter, with a particular emphasis on the day in which that judgment will ultimately come, namely the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at some of the things we glean from this chapter. Let's think first about the power of reminder. The power of reminder. Peter repeat, repeats a phrase early in this chapter that he used in the first chapter back in, back in chapter 1. After setting forth, uh, remember in chapter 1, those various qualities that would characterize every believer, um, Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter said in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Okay, that's Second Peter 1, 12 and 13. And now, at the outset of chapter 3, Peter says, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, in both of them, I am stirring up your sincere, your sincere mind by way of reminder. That's Second Peter 3.1. So Peter obviously sees great value and power in reminder, being reminded of things. We're the kind of people often who like to move on to new things and learn new things when we feel like we have a good grasp on the old. But the Christian faith is not always like that. Jude will describe the Christian faith as the faith once for all delivered to the saints. It is what it is. It is a complete deposit of revealed truth. And the truth that we've already been given is more than enough to save us, sanctify us, and bring us to glory. So Peter's right. We don't always need to be moving on to something new, but to be constantly reminded of the things that we already know so that we never forget the most important things. Secondly, let's think about the covenant with Noah and the timing of God. As noted earlier, there is in this chapter a, per, a particular emphasis on the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, even more specifically the timing of it. Peter says that in the last days, and remember we've said this a number of times, the last days is referring to the whole period of time between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. So a very long time, right? But in these last days, people will scoff at the idea of the second coming and will come to believe it will never take place. He says in verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of his second coming? You know, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the very beginning of creation. Peter, though, says they are forgetting those who doubt the, the, the second coming and doubt that it will one day take place. They are forgetting one very important historical event, namely the flood. He mentions that in verse 6. People in that day did not believe such a thing could happen, but it did. And likewise, he says in verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. As for the timing of when that will take place, Peter makes it clear in verse 9 that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. We don't know exactly when that will be, but that is entirely irrelevant. 
Peter says that the length of time before the second coming is all in God's perfect time and has everything to do with God's mercy toward us. Two things are significant on this point. One, it is significant that Peter quotes from Psalm 90 in verse 8. And two, it is significant that Peter mentions Noah and the flood. These two things conspire to teach us something important. First, Peter quotes from Psalm 90, verse 4, in 2 Peter 3, 8, when he says, With the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. That's quoting from Psalm 90, verse 4. Peter, I believe, quotes this not just to remind us uh, that what may seem like a long time to us is not a long time to the Lord, but also to draw us to the main message of that psalm. That's what happens a lot of times when the New Testament quotes a verse from the Psalms. The, the, the New Testament writer, when he quotes a verse from the Psalms, is very often trying to remind you of the message of that whole psalm. And so elsewhere in that same psalm, Psalm 90 verse 12, Moses, who wrote that psalm, said, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. In other words, let us not scoff at the length of time before the second coming, but give us wisdom to understand the purpose for the wait. And that is where Peter's reference to Noah is significant. To mention Noah and the flood is also to bring to mind the covenant that God made with Noah afterwards. The heart of that covenant was Genesis 9-11, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again... Uh, shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God promised never to destroy the earth in that fashion again. And also, Genesis 8.22, that while earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall never cease. The main reason for the covenant that God made with Noah was to keep day and night going and going on in order to provide the time and the place for a Savior to come and for the people to come to that Savior and be saved. That is why, in the same breath, Peter says the long wait before the second coming is because God, as he puts it in verse 9, is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should re reach repentance. Paul made the same point in Romans 2.4. The wait is not to be scoffed at, but to be saved through. The wait is God's grace toward sinners. His justice, though, is just as certain, this time in fire instead of water. And for those who, have, who already have come to Christ for salvation, Peter asks in verse 11, Since all these things are to be thus dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness? Jesus has saved us from the penalty of sin, as the Holy Spirit is, is working in us now daily to deliver us from the power of sin as we wait to be delivered from the very presence of sin in a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, he says in verse 13. Well, let's think about a third and final thing, and that is, yep, Paul is hard to understand sometimes. If you've ever come across a passage from one of Paul's letters, scratched your head and read it again and again, you're in good company. Peter did too. <laughs> He freely admits that in Paul's letters, he says in verse 16, in Paul's letters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. But as you keep reading that verse, Peter says something else noteworthy about Paul's writings. He says, false teachers twist Paul's words in his letters, verse 16, they twist Paul's words in his letters as they do the other scriptures. 
as they do the other scriptures. That last phrase, the other scriptures, implies that even by the time Peter was writing 2 Peter, Paul's letters were already being accepted right alongside the Old Testament as Holy Scripture by the churches. That being said, God is the ultimate author of all Scripture, and God speaks plainly to us without contradicting himself. So anytime you read something difficult uh, to understand, that's difficult to understand in Paul's writings, or any other book for that matter, there will always be some other passage of Scripture that is easier to understand and help you to make better sense of what Paul said. So, good rule of thumb, always let Scripture interpret Scripture. Those are just a few thoughts from 2 Peter chapter 3.